You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast, Season 4, Episode 6, recorded on the 4th of May, 2020. May the 4th be with you. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hi everyone, it's time for another podcast. Thank you for keeping up with the channel, those of you who watch me on YouTube. It's been somewhat insane trying to get out daily content and it just happens to have ended up that way because of the sheer number of videos that have been made. Because for starters, there's a couple of reviews that have come in every now and again. There are the occasional top 10s that I am going to do and there are a couple more in the works which are probably going to be more negative topics than positive ones, but... uh, It's a good way to vent, I suppose, and to be fair, it's about time I actually got on with one of those, so the next one is probably going to be, well, it's hard to tell. I was contemplating doing the top 10 great things in games, like top 10 things I really like in games, but I'm almost more convinced to do top 10 things I hate in games, so to do the opposite thing, and I don't want to simply just do both because you'll probably find that the great part is simply a reversal of what the hate is, so I thought I might do the hate one instead just because they're a bit more fun to do really, but really thanks for keeping up with the rest of the content which has involved E-Raptor board game insert videos because they donated me six inserts to assemble and review. I've given my honest thoughts about them, both pros and cons, you know there are pros and cons to all of them and you know you can check out those videos as well. Uh, There's a review of Train Topia that's up, you know, which is decent but has some issues and the review for Escape Tales should be going up literally tomorrow, I think, if I remember my schedule correctly. Escape Tales The Awakening, the escape room type game. There's a good positive one to come from that. You'll have to check out my thoughts for exactly why, though, on that one. But mainly, people have been very, very supportive about the shelf-by-shelf videos. I've got at least 48, if not 50 videos to do for that because of what's on top of the shelves, and... It takes 48 videos to do one shelf per video, and even though they're quick to do, they're not the quickest thing to do. I mean, I still have to record the video, edit it, upload it, get it shared, you know, all that takes time. And if you imagine I'm doing that 48 times, it's quite a mission. And they've been releasing daily. Not the shelf by shelf specific, but just videos in general. Because there's so much to cover, it's enough to keep a video up every day. Don't expect this to be a repeated thing, though, when life returns to normal, okay? You know, when reviews start being more commonplace, when the shelf-by-shelf video thing runs out, for example, and, you know, basically when all this isolation and coronavirus thing is over, do not expect me to suddenly be able to keep up the daily content, because that would be physically impossible. It's just because it's such a lull at the moment with 2020 being devoid of conventions, being devoid of board game releases at this point, you know, and everything else. It's just like, yeah, need something to fill in the void, shall we say. So, oh well, enjoy the daily content while it's there for the worst of the isolation period. I mean, after all, the shelf by shelves, I've recorded up to shelf 20 at the moment. So there's still another, pretty much another month's worth of videos just for shelf by shelf alone. So you can imagine that the daily content is probably going to be carrying on until somewhere around mid to end of June. So, you know, well, at least you guys are going to look forward to that, hopefully. I mean, the views have been certainly suggesting it. I definitely want to 
push the subscriber count up though because we're over 9,700 subscribers at the moment and that means we're shooting towards the big milestone of 10,000. Other podcasters and YouTubers have recently been celebrating the fact that they've hit a 10,000 subscriber milestone. I want to catch them up. So I want to get to 10,000 before we get like too far into summer. And we, we need about another 280 or something at this point. We'd love to push the subscriber count up. So if you can and you haven't, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, show your support and get me to that milestone. That would so make my day. So in general, with my sort of thoughts and musings, well, isolation still sucks. <laughs> so we're still in it. You know, the UK is still not lifting its uh, rules anytime soon. Still stuck at home. Occasionally I've got stuff to do. Occasionally, I'm, most of the time I don't. You know, I mean, the, I've been sort of going through some video games and problem is as soon as I complete them, I run out of video games. You know, I've uh, completely got through uh, Jedi Fallen Order. I've got through Doom Eternal. Um, I'm already at the end game content for Deep Rock Galactic. So I've kind of run out of video games to play. So there's board games. Problem is, board games are, you know, I can't do it all day, and even then, it's hard to get people, you know, if you play with randoms online, you can't guarantee that you'll get someone with a good voice connection to talk to, someone who knows the game, or even that you've got time to play a game, because it takes longer to play a game online than it does in real life, but then friends and people I know aren't always available, couples, families, just not being available every evening, it's the way it is, you know, I mean, I was online last night and there was just nobody around. Everybody was busy or doing stuff or just lazing about. It's like, oh, I guess I'll just uh, go downstairs and watch TV then. And it's a bit of a bummer when that happens. Though I did get a good fun game yesterday where I was playing um, Dale of Merchants with the designer, uh, uh, Sammy Lasco. Uh, he's got a new tabletop simulator mod for Dale of Merchants. It is very good. It is scripted in the sense of setup and filling the market. The like the two fiddly bits are basically scripted, and the rest of it is dirt simple. And it even has factions from the newest set that is currently on Kickstarter. Check it out. I had a good time with it. I put some photos up on my Twitter and Instagram and that. Honestly, give it a look if you're interested in the game at all. And if you join the Discord server for, um, I think it's, is it a Snowdale Designer or a Dale Merchants Discord? I'll have to find out. But essentially, if you search him up on Twitter and join his Discord, he can even join in games with you. You could spectate them or he will even teach you the game. So there's some cool stuff on that front. But yeah, I'm just kind of managing HelloFresh keeps me going with a few meals, you know, keeping that up. Some beer and wine deliveries every now and again, just so I got something to drink. Even though I can't go to the pub or a game cafe to have a drink, which is annoying. Obviously, no new games really coming in. I've had a couple of minor orders just for stuff to, you know, fill up gaps, but nothing new, shall we say? You know, nothing brand new, apart from Train Topia, I guess. But uh, yeah, so there's not a huge amount really arriving. Although I have been spending a bit of money lately because I've had to upgrade my printer. I am contemplating buying a laptop for. Uh, uh, streaming purposes. However, I don't know if streaming is going to work well for me. I don't know if it's worth the expense to buy a laptop for it because laptops are not cheap, particularly if you want one that can handle board game apps or handle streaming in general. You know, it's a good couple of grand. And, you know, people will say, well, why don't you stream from your home PC? Problem is, my home PC is in a different room and the only microphone thing I would have is my headset. So you'd have to look at me wearing a headset all the time because any USB mic would just pick up the PC fan noise as always. And even then, the backdrop of my study is a couple of accountancy certificates and a bookcase. Woo, you know, it's not exactly interesting to look at. I'd have to put it in my game room, which means having a laptop, which means finding lots of money. 
So I'm still kind of debating on that. You know, is it worth it? Will I get the views to really warrant it? You know, so we'll just have to see on that front. But yeah, I'm just kind of managing. Hopefully you guys are doing a lot better than me on the sanity front. But so, okay, another podcast episode. What is this for? Well, I was struggling for a topic, I must admit. You know, I haven't really played anything that new lately that I can talk about. Um, other than, I suppose, I mentioned Dale of Merchants as a, a TTS mod. But the interesting thing is I do have two or three questions um, that have come in from community members, Q&A, so I will talk about those later. But the main purpose of this episode is talk about Hot Off The Press, the 14th annual Golden Geek Awards from Board Game Geek have been announced, the actual award winners. And it's the talk of Facebook, because there's a lot of lovers and there's a lot of whiners, <laughs> as always. Now, granted... I don't tend to place much reliance on stuff that Board Game Geek puts out. You know, I don't. You you know me by now. I'm not a fan of the like top 100. You know, especially not the top 10 of Board Game Geek. I don't like their rating system. I don't like how games can propel up to number one by literally just being out, and how you can have three iterations of the same game. You know, like Brass at Lancashire and Birmingham. How two of them can have the same thing. It's like I don't get the Board Game Geek system. And I must admit, the awards, I'm a little bit kind of uh, weird about as well. Because there are some that I go, okay, fair enough, you did good on that. But then there are some where it's like, how did that get into that category in the first place? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But of course, you guys want to know what they are. And assuming you haven't read it on Facebook and that, I'm just basically going to go down each category, tell you what the um, sort of what the winners, runners-up were, maybe mention the nominations if I disagree with them. And um, I'm not going to go through every category, though, because there are some categories I can't really comment on. It's not my forte, not my expertise, you know, and some categories I'm just not that interested in. But I will go through the main ones, the ones that are probably more important to most, and I'll at least give my thoughts. And then I'll do the Q&A bits later. So, without further ado, let's get on and get started. So why don't we start with the big one this time round? Normally I leave this till last. This time I'm going to do it now. The board game of the year. So when it comes to nominations, there's a lot. I mean, you get something like 15 different nominations for this category. And looking at the list, there's a weird mix, I have to say. Not only of games that I'm surprised were even that popular, but then some games where I just think, okay, what are you smoking in order to consider that the board game of the year? But then that's a personal opinion. So the winner was Wingsman. Yes, and you're going to hear that name crop up a lot in this awards. I'm going to warn you now, whether you like it or not. But to be honest, I'm kind of cool with that. You know, it's not my favourite of the year, although I think it made my number three or four of the year. I have to admit, it's a very cool, very streamlined tableau builder game with a unique theme that is just appealing to a lot of people. It's smooth and it's fun. Yes, there's a luck of the draw element in it. There's a luck of the draw element in Terraforming Mars. I don't hear anyone complain about that one anytime soon. So it's it's a solid one. I'm glad it won. And looking at the rest of the competition, even though it wouldn't be my pick, it's still, I think, a pretty solid one. The runners up there I'm a little bit more weird about. Tapestry and Paladins of the West Kingdom. Really? Tapestry, that broken piece of... Well, it's not a piece of tap, but I mean, that broken Euro game is going to be a runner-up. And then Paladins of the West Kingdom. Who voted that? I mean, I liked it fine. I gave it a reasonable rating. I think I gave it a good rating, actually. I gave it an 8, although it's probably now a 7 for me. And 
it's just a dry point salad game that's only going to be appealing to those who have got like three hours of spare time and just want a point salad. But looking at the rest of the nominations, I mean, you had a... Actually, to be fair, you didn't have a lot of great nominations in here. I mean, I wouldn't put Tainted Grail as the best of the year. Um, Marvel Champions card game, maybe, but the best of the year, I don't know. Uh, I'd say Wingspan probably deserved it, but the rest of the stuff in here, I'm a little bit like... Ugh. I mean, the crew. The crew's nice, but game of the year? Maracaibo? No. In It's a Wonderful World? Boring. Barrage? Hate it. You know, uh, Pax Premier? Come on. It's a second edition, so it's pretty much just like the first one, apart from a few changes. And even then, I've played it. I thought it was fine, but Game of the Year? Res Arcana? No way. Taverns of Tiefenfolk? I've not played it, but granted, from what I have seen review-wise of it, I can't understand how that could be Game of the Year. And Tiny Towns overrated. Yeah, there was not a lot of good stuff in that category, I've got to admit. So you know what, Wingspan, I'm on your side, mate. I'm glad you won it. It certainly suits me more. Okay, Two-player game, I'm not really going to talk about a lot because this is not really my expertise. You want two-player games, there are better people to talk about the two-player only ones because I don't get them to the table as often. But the winner was Watergate with runners-up of Undaunted Normandy and Blitzkrieg. Now, these are the ones that I hear about all the time when it comes to two-player games of that year, so I'm not surprised that they were the three that were talked about. I hear lots of people talk highly of Watergate. I'm sure it's good. Hopefully, the theme just doesn't interest me, so I haven't really tried it, but it does, uh, with the rest of the stuff, I mean, I've not played Foothills, I've not played Claustrophobia 1643, King Domino Duel, uh, Shobu, whatever that is, Skulk Hollow, Nagaraja, although Nagaraja, I want to try, I hear good things about that one, Mandala, these are games I haven't really played, so I can't really talk about this award, however, it's not a surprise to see Watergate at the top, because that is the one I do hear buzz about. So let's move on to artwork and presentation. The winner! Wingspan. Yeah, were you surprised? <laughs> Come on. The artwork in Wingspan is lovely. It's a gorgeous game. It's well presented. It, it's, it deserved it, honestly. I can't really think of a better one to go for it. But, I mean, certainly in terms of for the cost as well. I mean, there was a couple in there that I thought... Well, the artwork and presentation is like really nice in this one as well, but uh, it costs like God knows how many hundred pounds more. It's like, you know, if you're going to spend that much, I expect it to look good. Whereas, you know, for the price, I think Wingspan did a good job. Followed by, now this is uh, interesting, the artwork and presentation runners up were Parks and Tapestry. Parks, I can get behind, sort of. I mean, I'm not a fan of the game itself. I mean, it's okay. I just find it a bit boring. I'd rather play Splendor. But... It, it does look beautiful. It is a beautiful looking game. So I'm perfectly fine with Parks being a runner-up on that one. But Tapestry? The board is pretty basic. The artwork's pretty basic as well. There's nothing really in that game that from an artwork perspective makes me go, mmm, you know, gorgeous. And looking at the rest of the stuff, I mean, Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition, Escape Plan. No way. What, that Vital Lacerda one? Are you kidding me? That was... Uh, bear in mind, I have not actually read the nominations in detail, so this is actually a first for me. But no way. Escape Plan, the artwork, and that's horrible. Uh, the Isle of Cats, yeah, that does look nice. Paladins of the West Kingdom, I like the style, but I wouldn't put it as the best of the year. Pax Premier, oh, give me a break. <laughs> um, Suburbia Collector's Edition, that is pretty nice, but it is pretty basic abstracted art. Uh, but yeah, Tainted Grail was on here. I mean, I would at least give Tainted Grail a runner-up place. You know, it's yeah, it costs a lot, but it's gorgeous. I mean, the minis in it are fantastic, but the artwork in it is a fantastic artwork. It's dark and gritty and gorgeous. Why is that not even a runner-up? Probably because a lot of people haven't really played it yet. 
Okay, let's move on to card game then. And this is where things are going to get a little bit interesting. The winner was Wingspan. We'll get onto this in a minute. And then followed by The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, and Marvel Champions, the card game. Now, this is causing a bit of a stir on the Facebook groups because the problem is, is that this is a card game category. Is Wingspan a card game? Because it's already won board game of the year and various other board game categories. So how is it also a card game? Wingspan has player boards that tell you how many resources that you get, where to put your cards, where to use your cubes. There's a sideboard for objectives. Is it really a card game? Now, I could go on a whole episode about this. I don't really feel it meets the category for card game if you're going to compare it to something like, say, Empires of the North, which, you know, is blatantly much more of a card game. So, you know, there are some... You know, weird things like that. But, I mean, it's, as I say, you're going to hear this name a lot. It won, but it is getting people a little bit riled up. The runners-up, though, I am perfectly happy with. I mean, that, you know, that definitely, I would certainly give Marvel Champions a card game uh, its dues. The crew, it's it's decent. I'll talk about it in praise in a minute, but compared to some of the other stuff there, I'm a little bit surprised. Although, to be fair, Villagers, good, wouldn't give it the whole year. Tussie Mussy. What is Tussie Mussy? I've never even heard of that game. Reza Kana? No. Point Salad? It's cool, but it's not exactly the best of the year. Llama? Whatever that is. Uh, it's a Wonderful World? Nope. Boring. Uh, Zeon's End Legacy? Isn't it just basically Zeon's End? But, I mean, I'm going to say it's half decent. But I am surprised this didn't get a runner-up on that. I mean, I bet it must have been fourth. It has to be. But to be honest, if we were going to disregard Wingspan as eligible for this category, I'd have put Imperial Settlers Empires of the North in there. Emperor's, Emperor's of the North is a fantastic card game. How that didn't even get a runner-up place, I am very surprised. I would have easily given that over Crew. But, you know, I don't know who's voting on these. I mean, I didn't vote for them myself, so, you know, I can't exactly complain if my ones don't win, but, yeah, it's, it's I'm still surprised by that. Okay, move on to Cooperative Game. My favourite type of genre, and what on earth? <laughs> the Crew won this one. Followed by Marvel Champions and Journeys in Middle-Earth, Lord of the Rings. Love Journeys in Middle-Earth. Love Marvel Champions. Great. Glad to see them in the runners-up. The Crew. Okay. I like The Crew. The Crew is a neat little trick-taking cooperative game. I will talk very good praise about it in a category coming up later. But the best of the year compared to Atlantis Rising, uh, Horrified, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth, Marvel Champions card game, Tainted Ground, I play that solo more than cooperatively, U-Boot, that's way outside the realms for most people, there's no way that's getting there, so, well, oh yeah, Cthulhu May Die, Letter Jam, Zeon Zen Legacy, yeah, I guess maybe the competition wasn't necessarily there, and to be fair, my two favourites of the year for cooperative games, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth and uh, Marvel Champions, got runners-up. So I'm happy. You know, they at least got runners-up and they deserve it. But, yeah, the crew is a top of the year. I would have given it a runners-up place, I suppose. But I would have given this to Marvel Champions, I think, hands down. Uh, definitely for a cooperative game. But there are some interesting ones in this category. Okay, moving on to... Oh, yeah, this really got people's uh, <laughs> attention. Expansion. Now... I don't think 2019 was particularly great for expansions. Maybe that's half the reason, especially looking at some of these uh, uh, nominations here, but you're going to be surprised by this one. European expansion for Wingspan was the winner. 
followed by the Quacks of Quedlinburg, the Herb Witches, and Terraforming Mars Turmoil. I don't know what is going on with these uh, things here. I mean, the expansion to Wingspan is good, but it's basically more of the same. It just improves on the point scoring tiles each round and gives you a, a couple of like different powers, but mainly it's more birds. I like it. It's more birds. I can easily integrate it into the game. So I suppose it's got that going for it. But best of the year for just giving you more of the same seems a little bit off. <laughs> it doesn't really revolutionize Wingspan. You could happily play Wingspan without it and you probably wouldn't even notice that much. But then looking at the rest, I mean the seventh continent, what goes up must come down, still have not played that. Although there's a retail classic version of seventh continent out on sale at the moment, 59 quid. I am very tempted to grab it just to find out what all the fuss was about. Uh, Everdell, both expansions, new ones, Pearlbrook and Spirecrest. Uh, food chain magnate, the ketchup mechanism, and other ideas. If that had got anywhere near the top three, I'd have been throwing my tablet across the room right now. Uh, Gloomhaven, Forgotten Circles. I'm actually quite surprised that didn't get as a runner-up or a winner perspective. Because literally you only have to usher the word haven and suddenly it becomes best of everything. But, uh, hmm, okay, I'm not exactly going to complain. Uh, I have not played the Herb Witches for Quacks of Quedlinburg, but I hear good things. Tale to Huacan Lake pre-classic period. Nah, not really. I mean, it's quite... I wouldn't throw it into every game, and it didn't revolutionise things. Okay, um, Underwater City's new discoveries. I'd give it a runner-up place just for giving you those recessed boards, but that's not enough reason to give it a fantastic award. And Wingspan, but Terraforming Mars Turmoil. Really? That was runner-up? Every time I talk to Terraforming Mars fans about it, the majority of them put it as like their third favorite expansion out of four. That's not allowed to be the best of a year. And this is a this is one that is super complicated for anyone new to Terraforming Mars. It is already something that adds another 30 to 40 minutes to the game time for an expansion on top of the three hour game length the game already has. And you want me to add another 30, 40 minutes on for this complex political thing? No! <laughs> there was no interest I had for Turmoil, and I cannot believe it's even a runner-up. But, oh well, didn't win it. But, oh, come on. I don't know what I would have really done with it, though, because there weren't that many great expansions that year, so I guess we got what we could? I'll give it to Quacks, I'm sure, I mean, I hear good things about the Herb Witches, and... Everdale expansions are just more of the same. Gloomhaven wouldn't won, Food Chain wouldn't won... Underwater Cities is not a bad expansion though, maybe I would have given that a runner-up. But yeah, I suppose Wingspan is my favourite of this list, so I'll give it the winner, but yeah, a lot of people on Facebook are pretty upset about that one. I'm interested to know what they think should have won though. Right, Family Game. Now this one's actually a bit more fitting for it, and look and behold, Wingspan won it! You know what, I'm actually glad to be talking about Wingspan as a winner of these categories rather than Gloomhaven for a change. So, although, wait till next year. I guarantee you, next year these awards will be just nothing but Frosthaven all over the place and literally just for the sake of, oh, it's like Gloomhaven win. You know, that's all it's going to be. But, Family Game won by Wingspan, followed by Azul Summer Pavilion and Tiny Towns. I can get why people like Tiny Towns, I'm just not the big fan of it myself. I found it a little bit boring. And Azul... Mm, come on, we've already had two Azuls. There's always pretty much the same game just from a slight tweak in the scoring mechanic. Did this deserve a runner-up place? I don't think so. Although, looking at the rest of the competition, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Cartographers, Family Game? The Crew, Press for Planet 9. 
This could have been a good one, actually. I think it's family weight. It's uh, light and easy. Draftosaurus never played. Horrified. I, I am actually surprised Horrified did not get into the top three. I've not played it myself, but all I hear about from a lot of people is how good this game is. So, and it's it seems perfectly fitting for family weight. I mean, it should have won it, I think. Isle of Cats. Uh, I don't know. I've seen people sort of overcomplicate that one. Parks, no. Point Salad, no. I like it, but I wouldn't put it there. And then Tiny Towns and Wingspan. So, I mean, that's not a bad selection for family game. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of Tiny Towns, but I hear good things and from other people, and a lot of other people like it. And it certainly is the weight and look and feel for a family game, so I'll give it that. Maybe not as keen to have a Zool in there again, but Wingspan, definitely. I mean, this is this is suitable for families, you know. I mean, the kids might take a little bit of time to get used to the bird powers, but it's perfectly suited for families. It's light, it's it's cute, it's definitely worth it. So I'm glad for that one. Right, then we move on to Innovative, and this is where even I am going to call a little bit of foul on this one. The winner for Innovative Game was Wingspan. Yeah, I'm going to give you a minute to just, like, come... Um, collect up with you know, a wipe up your drink that you just spilt there as you were sipping your tea but uh yeah what <laughs> and then followed by the crew quest for planet nine and wavelength okay wingspan is a great game what way is it innovative it has a different theme great i like different themes not going to complain about that that does not in itself cry out innovation Innovation is really like doing something brand new and different. I mean, throwing the app integration into something like Mansions of Madness and XCOM, innovative. The QR code system for Chronicles of Crime, innovative. The merging of a dated genre like trick-taking with cooperative play, which has never been done before, that's innovative. So I would have given this to the crew, hands down, for innovation. I've, I've said it, it's got to be the most innovative of the year. It got runner-up, okay, great. But how is Wingsman innovative? It is a tableau builder with a different theme. That's it. Everything else in the game you've seen before. What, because eggs are a new resource type that's innovative? No, I don't get that one. But then, to be honest, I'm looking at the competition again. <laughs> barrage. Okay, I cannot, words cannot describe how much I hate that game. What in Barrage is innovative? What? It is another cutthroat Euro game like all the rest. The King's Dilemma, that could have been pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty different game. The story narrative that builds up with each player playing a kind of Game of Thrones-style political party and the story adapting to what choices you make as a voting community. I could have given that one a decent perspective. Letter Jam? Uh, we've seen a lot of these word games, but a cooperative word game in the sense of a party game? Well, I mean, I could have given Letter Jam some uh, stuff on that. Pax Premier, how can you call a game innovative when it's the second edition of something? That in itself is not innovative because it's basically revamping something that already exists. That doesn't make sense. But, okay. Uh, QE. The game's okay. I have played it. I wouldn't rate it that highly, but uh, it's different. I mean, an auction, it's just a bog-standard auction game, but the idea that you can bid as much as you like, it's different. I could give it some credit for that one. Tainted Grail, that's not innovative. U-Boot, I could have given U-Boot some innovation award on that one. I mean, this submarine that you've got to control with each person with a different party and like you've got the models on the submarine you move around with, done with an app that can play it in real time. You know, that's pretty innovative stuff. Uh, wavelength was a runner-up. 
Uh, it's different, I guess, but I mean, how really innovative is it? And Wingspan. Yeah, this one, I feel, I mean, U-Boot and the King's Dilemma and the crew are going to give all those innovative awards, but yeah, Wingspan, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I'm just surprised at a few of the others there, although if I'd have seen Barrage up there, I'd have flipped my lid. I <laughs> guarantee you that. Okay, on to party game, and again, I don't think we had a great deal of party games that year that were, like, stuff to talk about, and party game winners were... Uh, the, the Wavelength, Letter Jam, then Men at Work. So, Wavelength... Uh, yeah, I could probably give that one, actually, because at first I was thinking, well, what about Detective Club? But technically that was released in 2018, and sadly, didn't even win the party game award there, but, yeah, if Detective Club was 2019, I'd have given it to that in a shot, but... Letter Jam, Medium, Men at Work, Obscurio. I'm not sure I'd call Obscurio a party game, really. But, you know, I would have certainly rated that high. Wasn't a fan of Paranormal Detectives. I have no idea what Team Free Green is. Frofro Burrito. If that had won, I would have seriously been stomping all over the place. No, 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 no. Wavelength, We're Doomed, and of Wits and Wages, It's Vegas Baby. Uh, yeah, I think we were kind of lacking in party games. But, you know, I'll, I'll give credit to uh, Wavelength. You know, it is a fun party game, so fair enough. Letter Jam, I think, deserves some credit, and I hear good things about Men at Work. So I think the proper three were chosen there. So I'm fine with this, but yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of competition if you're going to put Frofro Burrito as a nomination. Uh, print and Play, I'm just going to tell you what they are because I know nothing about Print and Play games. Tiny Forming Mars, Under Falling Skies, and Roll Estate. Okay, I have no idea, <laughs> I really don't know anything about this category. Solo game. Wingspan. <laughs> like I said, you're going to hear this a lot. <laughs> um, and then Marvel Champions at card game, and then Twice as Clever. I, I would not have put something like Twice as Clever all the way up here, considering it's pretty much the same as uh, Ganshong Clever, so it's not exactly new. But um, yeah, there wasn't a huge amount... Well, no, actually, there was a good amount of competition there. I mean, Aerion was a good one from the Omniverse. Uh, Cartographers, nah, that was a bit lacking. Cloudspire, not played, but a lot of people talk highly of it. Uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth, definitely. I play that solo all the time. Luxeterna, I don't know what that is. Marvel Champions, of course, brilliant. I play it solo 90% of the time. Uh, Pax Premier, I have no idea what it's like solo, but I wouldn't have looked at it twice. Uh, Tainted Grail... Uh, it's got issues with the slog and that, so no, I wouldn't have put that up there. Twice as clever, no, and Wingspan. Wingspan does have a very good solo mode, though. That is the thing that I might... I'm surprised it won it. I mean, I would have given this to Marvel Champions, I think, or Lord of the Rings, definitely. But I'll give Wingspan credit. It's easier to get into. It's easier to deal with. And the Autumna in Wingspan is very smooth and very easy to do. I will give it that props. You know, the fact that it's won it, I'm not that surprised about. But, yeah, twice as clever, really. But, nah, you know, solo games... I feel like there should have been more on the nomination list for solo games. I mean, although looking at my list that I did recently for solo games, maybe it's not that surprising, because I think most of mine are from previous years. Right, this is going to flip your lids, I think. Strategy game. Runners-up were Paladins of the West Kingdom and Maracaibo. The winner... was Wingspan. What? <laughs> Look, it's already got board and card game nominations. Now it's got family and strategic? 
strategic is more about like the heavier games really you know the big the euro games the ones that require a lot of long-term planning i'm sorry wingspan does not fit this category especially if it's a family weight game what is this doing in the strategic game category? I have no idea. Considering most of Wingspan, I dare say, is actually more tactical than it is because you've got luck of the draw and you've got the different bird powers that you collect, but you don't know what they are at the start of the game. You've literally just got a couple of birds and some food at the start. What are you supposed to be strategizing? That is a big misstep. As much as I like Wingspan, that is just, whoa. And you thought people were getting worked up about expansions? Believe me, the forums are going crazy about the fact it won strategic. But, to be fair, what was it up against? <laughs> I mean, Marikaibo, uh, it's a decent game. I don't love it, but I like it. I'm, I'm happy that got a runner-up. Paladins of the West Kingdom, it's going down for me, but I suppose I could give it credit. It's still fun, just not as fun as I would like. But then you've got Tapestry, which is basically a luck fest. Res Arcana, that's not a strategy game. Pipeline, which is boring. Pax Mamir, I suppose I could have given this an award for it. I mean, it is definitely a strategic... Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I would call Pax Mamir a strategic game because so much of it is based on what's going on at the time between the, the various factions and players that you can't really strategize in it. You kind of have to react. So yeah, I'm a little bit confused by that one. Uh, Glenmore 2 Chronicles, it's okay. Not sure I would go mad for it though. Plus, it's the exact same game. They just added some more modules. Uh, City of the Big Shoulders. Do not even think about it. And Barrage. Do not even think about it. So, yeah, I'm glad that some of the others did not appear. I'm glad Marikaibo's there and Paladins. I'll accept. But you're missing a certain nomination here. As I turn my head, I see a lovely game by Quinid Games called Terramara. Why is that not in the nominations at all? I would have given this to Terramara in an instant for strategy game of the year, and it wasn't even a nomination, and you put Res Arcana over Terra... It's because not enough people have played it. Quinnick Games, you need to work on your marketing and get this one out there. All right. Thematic game. Now, this is usually a topic I really like to look at. And we've got the winner is... Not Wingspan for a change. <laughs> it's June. And runners-up is Star Wars Outer Rim and The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. This one I'm kind of okay with, although I am quite surprised Marvel Champions The Guard Game didn't even get a mention. That's a pretty thematic game. And U-Boot. That's very thematic. I mean, I'd say it's a pretty good contender. Clank Legacy. Not really. Cthulhu Death May Die I've not played. Horrified. Uh, maybe. Jaws. No. Uh, Tainted Grail. It's a very thematic game. I'd have given that consideration. Uh, June, I've not actually played. I am, as far as I hear, it's a very thematic game. I've just not played it, so I can't really comment, but very surprised that got number one. I don't hear many people talking about it. Uh, but I'll certainly let Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Outer Rim take the ties because Star Wars Outer Rim is a very thematic pick-up-and-deliver game and the Lord of the Rings Journeys to Middle-earth is it's Lord of the Rings. What more do you want to know? It's perfectly thematic. So I'm kind of happy with this one, even though I wouldn't necessarily pick June as a winner but I'm kind of surprised it's number one. I guess it's a bit more popular than I realised. And then the rest I'm just going to tell you because I don't really have much... Uh, I don't know, I can talk about the last one, but these next two, I don't really have any... I mean, War Game. Yeah, do you really think I'm a War Game expert? Winner of that was Undaunted Normandy, followed by U-Boot, and then Blitzkrieg. I thought Blitzkrieg was just a simple two-player game. It's a War Game? I don't know. But I don't know about War Game, so I'm not going to belabor the point. Uh, best Podcast... 
not even going to read it. And <laughs> frankly, I don't agree with the. And the reason I'm not going to is because I don't actually agree with the best podcast being an award, because we're rooting for board games. Great, they, you know they're building, the, they're making board games, and they want there to be the best one. But we're just content creators. I run a podcast. I mean, yeah, right. My podcast is never going to get nominated in this sort of thing. Not enough people listen to it. But I don't care about who wins best podcast. It's subjective anyway. I mean, we're already discussing whether we agree with these board game nominations, but then I can look at some of these and go, okay, I'm not a biggest fan, but I can see why it won. But podcast is entirely subjective. You know, the the winner of this one, I've never listened to their podcast. You know, I've, I've watched some of their um, videos and they're really, really long. They're, it's too much for me. I can't watch a video like four hours long to get a playthrough for a game, for example. And I'm just not that fussed. I've never listened to the runner-up either, and I don't really listen to the other runner-up either. So it's, it's, I don't desperately think a podcast award should be there. It makes it sound too much like a popularity contest, because you can just bet that the egos of the people who win it are going to be like so inflated right now. You know, just, I just don't go with it. So I'm not even going to mention it. And, funny enough, yeah, of course I wasn't in the nomination. Although, actually, I'm surprised that a certain podcast did not win it, considering how many people talk about it. So, uh, yeah, kind of odd. But, like I say, not really that interested. You know, I listen to a podcast because I like the people on it, and I get a good digest of the information. However, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, mainly just because of lack of time. You know, I've got a lot of things to get on with and do. I don't have time to listen to 20 different podcasts. Okay, and then the one I can talk about, though, best board game app. Right, this one's interesting. The winner was Through the Ages, New Leaders and Wonders, which is kind of odd considering that's an expansion, but okay. And then Raiders of the North Sea, and then Twice as Clever. I guess Twice as Clever is a decent enough app, but again, it's the same game as Ganshon Clever. Uh, but Through the Ages, is that, does that count? I mean, Through the Ages, when did that come out? That didn't come out in 2019, did it? I thought that came out last year. So you're giving an expansion the award? That doesn't... I don't get that. Uh, Raiders of the North Sea, I hear good things about... Actually, no, I have played the Raiders of the North Sea app. It is pretty good, but it could use some expansion content rather quickly. Uh, But then look at the rest. I mean, Mystic Veil, that was a nomination. I think that's a brilliant app. Lord of the Rings Journeys of Middle-Earth is kind of weird because that's an app for a board game. I'm not quite certain why that even got in the running. Seven Wonders Duel... Has that been released as a proper board game app? I thought that was still in production. I'm kind of confused by that one. Castles of Burgundy? No. Evolution? No. Gloomhaven? No. Uh, Santorini? That's a pretty decent app. So, I mean, I guess... I mean, I would have definitely put um, uh, Mystic Veil higher in the the board game app category. But, yeah, that was a little bit surprising on that one as well. Because it sounds like you're just giving expansions awards. How did the nominations get... Does anybody QC these... Uh, you know, is there any quality control on these nominations where people look at it and go, hang on a minute, does that count? Um, uh, well. So yeah, that is the Board Game Golden Geek Awards. As you can see, Wingspan was kind of the talk of the trade. And again, I love it. It's a great game. But does it deserve some of those categories I'm a little bit hesitant about? But oh well, you know, it certainly deserves some of the others. And I would probably say that for the best board game of the year... For everything that's done, it's not my favourite of the year, but I think it deserved that award. So I'm kind of happy that the main award went to what I consider to be the best. There are some dubious ones in there, and obviously some categories I don't know a lot about, but uh, 
Hopefully that just gives you some ideas on not only what the award winners are, but also what the nominations were that they were up against, and also just my personal thoughts on the matter, because everybody has their thoughts on awards as to who they think should win and lose. I'm no different, you're no different, so hopefully it was entertaining just to listen to me rant and rave about it. Okay, I got three questions here, and I'm gonna try and go over them relatively quickly. Although you know me, I do like to talk a lot in my uh, podcast. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it? But for Mr. John Stone, who's very uh, um, talkative on my comments, why do games get it so wrong with player counts? E.g., two not being good at two. Did I write that right? Uh, well, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, two not being good at two. Basically, what he's getting at is, you know, when you see the player count on the side of the box. Why do they seem like they're just completely wrong and don't make any sense? Like a multi, I think what he means is a multiplayer game being bad at two. You know, is that right? And to be honest, why do they get it so wrong? I mean, it's no surprise to everybody that games get player counts wrong all the time. Like ridiculously all the time. It's ridiculous. But I know why. It's to sell more copies. That's all it is. Publishers are going to make money and so do, you know, the people selling the games. So how do you do it? You make it approachable to as many people as possible. And that means making it inclusive of all the different player counts. If you take a game that's only three and four players, you're basically alienating out couples because they can't buy it for themselves. You're alienating out solo gamers because they can't play it solo. And if people have got large families or large groups, they can't necessarily play it with more than four either. So you do restrict the market in some respects, although some games don't really care too much. I mean, how many people play Gloomhaven with more than one or two players? So it's purely just a selling tactic. Now, this annoys me greatly because every time I see a Euro game say, this works from two to five players. No. Works with 3 and 4, has a weird variant at 2, and is far too long and convoluted with 5. That's typically how it works. 3 is my sweet spot for pretty much any game in terms of interaction, time, and play. 4 player is fine, but then again, as soon as you get some big heavy Euro game, say 2 to 4, sometimes 2 is the best. Because it's the same game regardless of whether you play it with 3 and 4, it's just how much time do you want to sink into this game. So... They just don't really care too much about that. They just need to sell more copies, and therefore, if they can make it work with two to five, they know they can appeal to a lot more players. But be very warned when you see the player count on a game. Just because it says one to five doesn't mean all those player counts will be good. And this is why I talk about player scaling a lot when I do my reviews about how well it scales. You know, frequently, player scaling gets it so wrong. And as I say, it's just a selling tactic, nothing more. Okay, another com uh, commenter, Hop. Just Hop. Yep, literally just Hop. Uh, what are your suggestions for people who are interested in your games but don't have a ready-made circle of friends? Right, well, when it's a, like, your games, I don't necessarily mean, like, my games, but I suppose... I suppose he's talking, like, oh, from the games they've seen on my channel and they like. But this could count for any game they like. But who are interested and don't have a ready-made circle of friends, well... This is the hard part, because when I started off gaming, I didn't really have that either. Board games were more my thing, and a lot of other players, I didn't, really, I didn't know my groups at this point. So the first thing I would do is look around for a board game club in your area. 
Hopefully you'll be able to find one. Meetup.com is a good resource to use, but any website that or any like community center nearby, have a look around and see if one exists. And if so, go and join it, because there's your entry point already. It's how I got into gaming in general. I got into my Portsmouth group and got addicted ever since. I'm now in the Southampton group as well. I now go to conventions. I now know a lot of people online and at conventions and stuff. So, you know, it all broadens from that initial um, like initial move. Now, what if there isn't a club nearby? Consider running your own. If there isn't a club for you to join, then why don't you find a venue that's willing to house you for cheap and simply start up your own? Say, so, you know, new board game club for so-and-so-ville, and you may be surprised how many people turn up. I'm not certain to guarantee it's going to work, but worth a try. You might be able to just run it cheaply and then you'll make friends that way. But a club is probably the best way to do it because you will meet people face to face, you will interact and you'll be you'll be involved with people that you never met before or never thought. Like you'd be surprised how many people in your area could be into gaming they just not had a way of expressing themselves. Now, if you can't play the physical games easily because you don't have that group, then maybe start introducing your friends to it. I mean, if you have friends nearby and they've never really played games, grab some simple stuff and just introduce them to it and maybe they'll get addicted as well. But the alternative from that, you might have to resort to online play. Certainly during the coronavirus, we've gone pretty mad with the whole online remote play and that. And I don't necessarily mean play games by Skype. I mean, I don't even do that. But with Tabletopia, Yukata, Board Game Arena, T Tabletop Simulator, board game Steam apps in general that you could play online, there's a lot of ways to play board games over the internet. It's not the same as physical interaction, you know, speaking through a headset and that, but it's a substitute. I mean, maybe you've got a group of friends that you play games with occasionally and you just want to play more games. Well, play them on the internet. It's essentially still the physical game. Yes, you're not holding it yourself. And yes, you're not face-to-face -face interaction, but it's the next best thing. You know, I would much rather have the game of, say, Dale the Merchants in front of me, physical components with the people that I know and like in front of me. But if I can't do that, I'll be glad that I can at least go online, find a couple of players, you know, maybe friends of mine who are distanced from me. You know, because it may, you may not have a ready-made circle of friends locally, but you might know some friends far away that love games. Play online then, but do some of that. Get into those apps, get into those websites, and you'd be surprised how easy it can be to play games if you're just willing to do a little bit of that internet research. So that is kind of what I suggest, really. I mean, certainly from a physical perspective, find a club or start a club. That would certainly be the first move. Second move, consider introducing your friends yourself to some games. Grab some easy games, make meet up, wine and dine, you know, like, uh, what do you call it, come dine with me and play some games. Maybe they'll get hooked and then you'll make your circle of friends that way. Failing that, consider online methods. And if that fails, I guess solo gaming's the way forward. <laughs> I can't really think of much else beyond that. And then finally, third question. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't given the contributor's name on this one, but uh, this one was an interesting one. Do you believe that if you don't like something, you should talk about it? This is an interesting one because it's, I mean, it's not, that may sound like a negative, like, comment in that, but he's, he's not, like, getting at me or anything for, like, the ones where I do the negative ones. Uh, the main reason this started up was because of some Facebook posts lately that were talking about uh, 
Shut Up and Sit Down's solo videos. And this doesn't just apply to them, this applies to other people as well, but they were basically commenting on the fact that, you know, if you don't like a particular genre, or you don't like a particular theme in games, should you be then advising other people on what to do in those particular genres and categories? My answer to this is outright no. Like, hell no. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, and as I say, this stemmed from a controversial issue with Shut Up and Sit Down's recent solo videos. Now, people who know me and know my podcast means I'm not a fan of Shut Up and Sit Down stuff. Don't like their humor. Don't like their style. Don't like their opinions a lot of the time. It's They're just not for me. Okay, not going to get too much into that. But this is weird because I have seen the solo video that is in question. And it is a little bit dodgy because... People who know Shut Up and Sit Down know that they are not fans of solo gaming. In fact, the video in question, which I think just talks about the solo gaming in general, I think it was about a month and a half ago, uh, is basically outright condescending solo gaming. I'm not joking. It is literally, if you listen to the language, listen to the words, get their, like, actually take their emotions into account. You know, it is pretty concrete that they are talking down to solo gamers and condescending the idea of it. That is not a good way to start off a video that's about solo gaming. I'm sorry. You know, and I did a, a solo gaming video, a free part series recently, where I talk about solo gaming. And I love solo gaming. Much, I'd rather be in person interaction, just like anybody else. But I talk about solo gaming and I like it. It's fair to advise people on something you enjoy. But to advise people on something that you outright condescend as not being great, that's, that's kind of a weird way to go. And yet, people were still... I mean, there was a lot of people who didn't like this fact, and I'm one of them. But there was a lot of people that thought it was fine. Why? <laughs> it's just kind of like, I don't get it. And then, you know, their choices for some solo games were very questionable because they don't have a lot of experience with solo games in general. Hence, I did my two-part series with, like, the massive overview of solo games. I covered a ton of really good solo stuff in there, even stuff I didn't like normally, and there was still stuff I couldn't find time to do. And people have put them in the comments, and it's a good, useful resource. But I just don't get why you would... I mean, I don't like train games at all. hate train games. So why are you surprised that I haven't done a top 10 train games list? Because I'm the last person who should talk about that sort of thing. How can I advise you what the best train game is out there if I don't like them? It's like, it's kind of like having, you know, somebody come around your house and say, I hate food, but I'll cook for you. Well, no, if you don't like food, I don't want you touching anything that goes into my mouth. It's like, I don't want you cooking for me. It doesn't make any logical sense. So, from that question, no, I don't think that if you if you hate something, you can perfectly comment on it. That is fine. You want to say, I hate this, and do a top ten list of stuff you hate? Fine. Perfectly fine. In fact, I find those very enjoyable. <laughs> That's what I do after them. But I don't get how you can advise people with something you hate. You know, I mean, if you're advising like stay away from this because of this this and this maybe that's slightly different I suppose it could get a little bit contentious after one point but it's not I just cannot see why I, I would not want to say let's say I hated solo gaming and I thought nah, solo gaming it's just not right you shouldn't do it you shouldn't be loners and you should go out and meet other people I do not think that at all trust me but you know it's like let's say that was my viewpoint would you take any interest in me doing then the top 10 solo games list? 
actively knowing that I don't like solo gaming, that just doesn't make sense. You wouldn't find it useful, you wouldn't believe a word of it, and it would be a waste of my time to do it. You know, it is different for me saying, for example, my top 10 hated games, because I love board games. So I can talk about some that I don't like, but it's up to you to decide whether you hate it as well. It's just me talking about games I personally hate, but I'm not saying that, oh, board games are stupid. By the way, here's my 10 favorite board games. There's a big difference if you think about it. So, yeah, I, I cannot see the deal with that. I mean, I don't agree with the way that they handled the solo game stuff at all. You know, I think they should have just stayed away from it. But I guess clicks, what are you going to do? It's how it works on the internet. And... You know, a lot of people kind of think the same as me on that, so at least I'm not alone, but then there's a lot of fans who forgive them for everything, so you know, it's tomato, tomato, it's it's going to be a very controversial topic, but from the purposes of the question asked, yeah, if you don't like something, you shouldn't really be advising that many people on it. Ooh, that was lengthy. Yeah, a good long podcast for you guys. Hopefully that was enjoyable for you, <laughs> rants and raves aside. And I've got to get back to work after some lunch. Yeah, I'm literally doing this in break between my time at work, remote working. You know, <laughs> talk about it. It's like work on a laptop for a bit, finish, record a podcast, do some more work, edit it later. So it's going to be a bit of a long day for me. But uh, yeah, this was quite an enjoyable one to do, just ranting and raving like I normally do. It's kind of what I'm here for. So, yeah, I mean, if you like what you hear, then please, by all means, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or on this, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get my uh, video recordings from there. Help me push myself to 10,000 subscribers. Check out the Patreon if you can. Even a dollar a month is enough to support this you know, channel from doing what it needs to do to keep itself running. I mean, I can just about pay the overheads from the Patreon at the moment. It'd be great to be able to do more cool stuff with it. But, you know, paying the overheads is still a good thing. You know, it at least keeps the channel running and stops it being a complete money sink, as it already kind of is. But, yeah, if you like what you hear, just let me know. Let me know in the comments what you think about the questions that have been asked, about the Golden Geek Awards. Do you agree with these categories? Do you think that the nominations were messed up? Do you think the winners were messed up? Or do you think it was perfect in every way? Let us know. The questions and answers. What do you think? You know, do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you not? I don't mind. I want to hear what your thoughts are. So leave them in the comments for people to read. So that's it for me. I'm going to sign off and head on for some lunch and then a bit more work. So take care and remember, rants and raves aside, whether you agree with the awards or not, they're still only games. Take care. Have fun. Stay safe. Wash your hands. You know the drill. <laughs> Stay sane. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top tens, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.